Hey guys, I am so excited to wrap up in this episode kind of the second part of a two-part little mini-series for y'all. Today I have Taylor All, who is the husband of Christine All. So if you haven't listened to the podcast right before this one, Warring for an Unfaithful Spouse, pause yourself right now, go back, check that one out, because that one really feeds into this side of the testimony. So it was really great to get to sit down with both Christine and Taylor separately on the victorious side of a lengthy season of their marriage where Taylor was unfaithful. Um, So I am super excited to get his testimony and to just celebrate what God has done in his life and Christine's life separately, but also in their marriage together. So I hope this serves you. Check it out. This is the Gaining My Perspective podcast, and you're hanging here with me, Wendy Cunningham. You're here to get empowered, inspired, informed, and encouraged as we navigate the everyday journey of this crazy life. Stick around, because we're going to laugh, and we're going to learn. And above all else, we're going to gain perspective. All right, everybody. Hello. Welcome to the podcast. I am joined here with my dear friend, Taylor All, and he is uh, the other half of Christine All that we've, we got to hear from on part one of this awesome kind of dual series testimony. And I think this is just such an awesome treat that you both agreed to chat with me about this because as we were just discussing, I think there's such weight and importance in both sides of a testimony like this. And I can say that I have witnessed you guys only on the other side, on the the victorious side, so to speak. And I'm, I watch just such an amazing couple. I mean, to, to know you now, and then to hear both of your stories and what you guys have walked through is really so remarkable. And, and it is such a treat for me because I do get to see how you are as a couple now. And it's just so strange to hear, you know, what you guys have walked through to get to where you're at. But it is, it's so cool to see what God can do when you guys are willing to be humble and surrender and do hard things and persevere in those hard things. Cause I know this was not a overnight turnaround, flip the switch, everything's better, but I would love to just hear, you know, kind of take me back to the beginning of your relationship with Christine and where were you at with your walk with the Lord and kind of how did this bondage, I guess would be a a good way to, to say it begin for you. And how did that start to manifest? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I think bondage is a good word, uh, <laughs> stronghold, or however you want to look at it. Um, but really, I've had a lot of years to kind of deconstruct and decompress this situation in my life and kind of look at it through God's eyes and, and allow him to kind of show me, hey, this is kind of how you ended up in this place, um, which is, you know, typical story for anybody coming out of strongholds or bondage or anything like that. You know, when you're looking back, God reveals things to you to show you, hey, this this is where 
this is an area, a big area of your life that that kept you in this place or drove you to this place. And I want to free you from it. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, I, I went I went back to when I was a kid and just how I grew up in a Christian home, Christian parents. We went to church, spirit filled church most of my life. I really took that all to heart. I engaged in that. I wanted to know more of God. I, I engaged in his word. I loved his word. I wanted to be a part of what God was doing at a very young age, um, even through my high school years. I mean, for me, looking back, when I look back on, on my life that, at that point um, with the Lord, I didn't really have anybody to guide me within those parameters, if that makes sense. So I was kind of, there was a few people that I can look back that really spoke words into my life and really um, helped help me grow in the Lord. My parents were wonderful parents. They, they loved me. They, they were very um, caring and, and wanted to know things that were going on. But as, from a spiritual standpoint, I didn't know this then, but looking back, it was more of a, just a kind of, you know, you find God on your own and you work your relationship out with him. And that while there's, there's certainly a good element to that, as a young kid and the teenage kid, there, you, I just feel like there has to be guidance in why we believe what we believe, why God does things the way he does them, um, and why we deal with sin the way we deal with it, among other things. But that was just something that was kind of absent in my life. So to say that, and then as I got older into my high school years, it started with pornography for me. Like that was the beginning at, at a young age, and I knew it was wrong. And I didn't understand how to deal with that. So I was trying to not do it that at a young age, that was my goal. So I, you know, I'd, I'd have, Oh, it's, I haven't done anything for six months or I haven't watched anything for this amount of time. And, and it was constantly this, this striving and it was exhausting. Mm. Um, and I didn't understand. Go ahead. I ask, I just want to get some clarity when you say a young age, what, if you can remember? Yeah, it's, uh, I can definitely remember is eighth grade. I think the first, okay. well, the first time I actually, encountered it i was in seventh grade at a party um, a kid birthday party that he had a bunch of kids over and he had his dad had some old tapes that he put on and i was at that point i was so disgusted by it that i left and went outside and like started playing basketball his dad put on porn his dad didn't put it on oh uh, his, his dad had it and they they went and found it but i will say at that party his dad did give seventh graders, a bunch of whiskey and alcohol. So okay, well. that moment as well. So I, I was, I was disgusted by it at that point, but I didn't tell my parents. I was probably ashamed at that, at, at even just being around it. And then w- when I got into eighth grade, so I would have been what, 13, 14, somewhere around there, mm-hmm. 13, I guess my neighbor, his dad had something. And so I watched it with him. And then that another kid at school, knew how to get it on the computer and he watched it. And then I brought it into my house and watched it on the computer at my house. And then my dad found it at one point and I lied and said, it wasn't me. It was someone else, blah, blah, blah. And that's where the real problem started was this, this shame and living in this shame and condemnation of, of who I was and what I had done and trying to avoid that at all costs. So as I, as I went through life, um, my high school years and stuff, and I still struggled with it off and on through years. And it wasn't a constant thing, but it was always there. It was not something that I would repent of, but I would never was never really free of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
And so it would, I'd come back to it and I'd go and I'd feel awful and ashamed. Um, and so it was this constant battle. And then I went for a couple years before I married Christine of not having any problem with it. Then I got married common. I think that, you know, this is what God wants me to do. But there was definitely an immaturity in me in getting married at, at the age I got to, not necessarily because I was 22, but in, immature in my relationship with Christ. Sure. And understanding what it meant to be married, what it was going to require of me, and how to view your spouse, really. And those were all huge problems. And when you throw the shame factor in and all these other addiction problems I had sexually um, into it, it just got to be a real issue for us pretty much, I would say a year and a half to two years after we were married. It wasn't the same thing as pornography that I was looking for. I started looking for admiration from people. I wanted people to desire me. I wanted people to like me in that way. And, you know, I wanted them to, to be attracted to me. Right. And so it became this obsession of just wanting different whoever it was to want me and, and desire me. And that's really where I was at. And I think it came from not knowing that I was completely loved and uh, understanding who I was in the Lord. So we were married. So from the time I was probably 24 to the time I was 28, I had multiple affairs um, with different people and not just on a sexual nature, but in a relational nature. Mm-hmm. Because it wasn't just about the sex part. It was about the needing to be admired and desired, right? So there was multiple different people that I'd lie to them. I'd lie to Christine. And during that process and time period, I, I, I didn't renounce God. I knew who God was. I knew what I was doing was wrong. And I didn't know how to stop myself. Mm-hmm. So with that, not knowing how to stop myself and knowing I was, I was in the wrong, my, in my own mind and what I had learned with pornography and striving and just trying to, if I, if I can just cut this out, if I could just cut that out and I'll just do this and this and this, and then I'll be okay. And that's, was my mindset. And, or if, if I can just wait this out, this problem will resolve itself. Like I'll push this person away and then they won't want me anymore and then they'll leave and then it'll be okay. And then, you know, whatever. And those were kind of in your own strength, trying to muscle it. Exactly. Exactly. And Christine didn't find anything out for a few years. And there was multiple just damaging, hurtful, just things that that happened that I did um, to her and to our family. Looking back, I, I, I say I was I was so twisted by the enemy and just I, I was in chaos. I was in chaos in my own mind. And it was honestly just it was like living in hell trying to just keep it all together and keep all these things together, lying, deceiving, living in sexual sin, committing adultery, doing all these things. And it was all kept in this place of, of shame. Shame kept it all in my life because I didn't want Christine to, I didn't want to hurt her was like my mindset. I don't want to hurt her. So I can't find out. And I don't want to hurt my family. So no, nobody can know about this. So I need to lie and deceive. So no one finds out. And then I'll just wait for this problem to resolve. So basically that's how I lived for, you know, eight years of our marriage. 
Wow. Um, seven, seven years of our marriage. We've been married 15 years now. And then it all came basically to a head when I was 30. And Christine asked me to leave the house. So she was aware at that point. She had become aware. She had walked through a, year, a couple of years of this with me where she had found out about something. Then I'd stop and then I'd go back and someone else would, you know, I'd meet somebody else and all these other problems would st- it just the process would start over again. And, and was it like online that you were meeting people in? I don't think. No, I never met anybody online. It was all relational. It was all people I'd meet in my day-to-day from work, from other places, people that knew I was married, mm-hmm. uh, but didn't, I did, I kept everything at like this separate, uh, but they knew about me and that, but it was never like an online relationship. Sometimes it was long distance. Um, there was a couple of them that were long distance, like that I would keep a relationship with. And that made it easier to keep it like this because they weren't constantly always around. Sure. How did she come to know? How did that? Oh, multiple different ways. Let's see. <laughs> the first, the first time she found s- some sort of messaging on my phone. Uh, the second time, one of the girls I was seeing that I was lying to contacted my aunt mm. through Facebook or something. And then my aunt, you know, obviously confronted me and Chris and let Christine know. And then one of the girls actually contacted her because I, at one point I was doing stuff with two different people and they both worked with me. And then they found out that about that. And then one of them was so mad that she went and told Christine. Mm -hmm. So that was, that was another one. So lots of different ways uh, that she, that, and what's really funny it's not funny. It's actually God's grace. When I think back, I, I can remember having drives when I was still in this place of shame and bondage. And I'd say, God, just, I just want you to fix this. Just take this away from me. I don't really care how you do it. Just, just, I just don't want this. I don't want to just take this stuff away. And it was within that time period that everything was found out. Mm. Every time, every yeah. time I pray that. But I, it was a desperation, but still not an understanding of, of how to be free in the Lord and how to be free of the bondage and the shame. As you're walking through this and you're obviously you're praying, take it away, take it away. Were you, was that kind of an infrequent thing to pray about it? Or were you, you know, seeking healing was, in this or? No, I wasn't seeking healing during the time at all. I was, it was infrequent. I was living in shame and guilt. So I was, I didn't want anyone to know. So I couldn't, I didn't, in my mind, once again, I was waiting for everything to just kind of resolve. And then I could get back to my life, um, which was the lie from the enemy. You know, he wanted me to think that way. He wants me to think, oh, it's all going to be okay. If you just wait it out and blah, blah, blah. And never dealing with the heart issue that's really going on in me. Right. And just constant and continually just damaging more and more me and the people around me. Um, But it wasn't a consistent Thing I was calling. I was actually scared to ask God to, to resolve it because I knew what that could mean. What does so, that mean? What do you think? What does that mean to you? I knew what that could mean. It mean it meant that Christine could find out, right? That was my a fear. Like, if, well, if God really wants to resolve this, he's going to reveal it to Christine in some way. And then everything's going to go kaput and I'll lose it all. 
So mm-hmm. that was like a driving fear behind. You were afraid of losing Christine. Yeah. You did not afraid. want to lose your family. Yeah. Yeah. And during that time period, there was, there was obviously also this, this feeling of I'm not, Christine's not satisfying me in this way. That's why I need to go over here and get this. And I wish she was more like this. And I wish she would do these things. And I wish she was like this in bed. And I wish that she would, you know, and there was those things like, and I I made a mistake and I got married too young and I shouldn't, you know, if I would have just waited, then I could have figured out what I really wanted and all these kind of things swimming around in my head. But God, God was so um, gracious to me that he never left me. I, I never felt like, well, I'll just, you know, I'll just pretend God's not there. It was always on my back through the whole process, but I didn't know how to be free. Did you know before, you know, kind of jumping back, I, I know, and I'm sure now you probably are more familiar, but there are so many people and specifically in the church, but I'm sure outside of the church, but it's so rampant in the church people struggling with pornography, struggling, struggling with different sexual addictions. Did you feel at at the beginning that it was just a normal thing guys did, or did you feel isolated in it? I felt isolated as far as being a believer for sure. Hmm. I thought in the world that if I was living just in the world, this would be different. Like there wouldn't be any consequences, not I mean, there would be, but if I didn't, if I didn't believe that, that Christ had saved and redeemed me and that, that I, and I wanted to live my life for him, then kind of there's this, if you take the morality out of things, which obviously there's no morality in cheating on your wife and committing adultery, that's not moral on any level. Um, when you've committed your life to someone and then you step outside of that. But there, that's what I mean as far as consequences go. All the consequences would be just physical and fleshly in nature. Like, oh, I have to divide this and oh, my family, my kids might have uh, be hurt by it. But there's not like it, the world we live in now is, well, if that's how you feel and this is what will make you happy, then that's what you should do. Right. And it doesn't really matter. And you're just going to continue to hurt people or once a cheater, always a cheater. And you'll, you know, basically saying you'll never be free of this. So you just need to go and live the life the the way you want to live it. And that's the lie from the enemy, you know, that he's twisted in the world. And but as far as being a believer, I felt isolated. I couldn't share it with anybody at my church because I was still involved in church. Um, not as heavily as I am now, obviously, or even before everything, there was a separation for me from, from God's people, which really amplified everything in my life. There was this arrogance in me that um, rose up thinking I had it all figured out. Like, oh, I got this part figured out as far as what a Christian is. And um, I don't need to be like the church is messed up and, and people, um, they don't, they don't got it right. And uh, this is not what God designed. You know, he didn't want the church this way. And, um, you know, it's this pride arrogance that's all based in shame and guilt for who I was and the way I was living. I felt isolated in that because I didn't feel like I could go to anyone and share that with them and be like, hey, this is what I'm struggling with. And that goes back to to being growing up and something God revealed to me is not feeling like I could go and show and share 
anything with people because of shame. I'm supposed to be this certain way. I've fell in love with the Lord and I, I love his word and I, I follow his word. So I, I can't make mistakes. That's the cycle that only grew and grew and grew and uh, that I lived in for 20 years. That's so good. There's so Christine and I talked about this, that it doesn't really matter what the sin is. Right. And it certainly doesn't matter to God because it's all, it's all the same. It's all the separation right from him, but the same lies. Like, it's so interesting to hear you say this because even just in my own walk with sin and, you know, my own marriage and what, you know, the sin issues we've dealt with, the same exact lies from the enemy apply. And I, it's so, I appreciate your honesty and vulnerability in those, you know, if she was more like this and if, you know, all of those things are happening in any sin trap, right? That the blame and specifically talking about the pride and arrogance, there's just so many people in my life that come to mind when you, when you were describing that, I'm like, Oh, that's so interesting. I can see that that's the stage they're trapped in that, you know, I, I am choosing to separate myself from church in almost like a self-righteous way because church is broken. It's, it's unbroken, but it's church that's broken. I, I don't want to participate in that. That's not the, the church that God has. Like, that's just so honest and so true there. And again, it doesn't matter what the sin is. The lies are, the same. There's nothing new under the sun, right? The enemy's not that clever. We give him a lot of credit, but he is not that clever. Unique. I mean, I would say he's pretty, he's, he knows what he's doing That's right? for sure. on that, um, on that level. But yeah, he's, he doesn't have any new tricks. You know, he knows how to trap us. He knows how to separate us from God. And that's, that's his goal. The further he can get you from God, the better off he feels because he's like, all right, yeah, if you're way over here and God's over there and you think this way about God and you don't, you'll never amount to what he wants you to do. And I just want to keep you as far away as possible. And I think it and this is kind of off topic, but I think something so interesting about the enemy is he already knows he lost, right? And he already knows he lost. So he, well, all he has to gain now is, is, is lip service. Like I just want to, as much as I can to, to, to mess up God, that's what I want to do. You know, I want to drive these people that he created for his pleasure and, and to glorify him as far away from his as, as possible because I am mad. You know, mm -hmm. I'm mad that, I, that, that he beat me. Yeah. And, and there, there's just that element to it. So because he doesn't have any authority or power over who I am or what I do. And he just wants to just get me thinking, you know, so. Amen. Anyway. So take me from that's a long time mm -hmm. to be walking in an addiction like that. And, you know, obviously there's a lot of hurt that is done to both of you through that. So how on actual earth do you get from there to here? What, what was the breaking point, if you will? Well, that's the, that's the grace story. And uh, it really still is. It's quite unbelievable um, what God did with everything. Um, and it started for me, I think for Christine, it started much before what she was going through this while she was walking through this, God was refining her. I mean, the grace that he gave her to be able to walk through this with me is unbelievable. I mean, it's, there's nothing I, I can't imagine. And I've told her this many times 
that God knew what he was doing when he put you with me, because there's nobody else that I can think of that be able to walk through this with me the way that she did with the grace that she did and where we are today. That is uh, the truth. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, but for me, um, it came to a point where she asked me to leave and I went and stayed with this family that I had grown up with when I was younger. And it kind of had been counseling me through some stuff, through some of this stuff on my way there. What's that? They knew what you were walking through. They, yeah, they knew. And it was, uh, they knew for about a year um, that I was trying to walk. And, and then finally something else happened. This is when the girl had called Christine and um, basically told her everything that was going on. And I had to come clean with her about everything that had been happening in that last year when she thought things were better. And she asked me to leave. And it was right before 4th of July. I was driving to their house. I was just praying to God. And I was just, I just broke. And for him in that moment, uh, this wasn't the end for me of my, of my walk out of this, but it was the start. And it sure. was this place where I just came to this place where my pride, I laid it all down. And I said, God, I don't want to live this way anymore. I don't care what you have to do. I don't care what I need to do. I will do anything you want. I will do anything you ask me to do. I will do anything that Christine asked me to do. I do not want to live like this anymore. I just want to live for you, whatever that means. If I lose my family, I lose my family. If I, if I, if I don't recover and you can't restore this, I understand, but I want to live for you now. I'm done. I'm done. Um, and it was just this, this breaking moment for me of just not caring about anything else I had to do. If God asked me to do it and I put my trust in people that were going to walk me through it. And if they asked me to do something, it was a yes. And I didn't care at that point what it was. So that was the beginning for me of, of the walking out of it. And um, it included things just for specifics. It's like, okay, well, you need to go to counseling. No cell phone. Uh, you can't be on the computer. Uh, you can't, you know, you're, uh, and then once I give you a cell phone back, I'm going to need to be able to check it whenever I feel like it and you have to give it to me right away. And there's, you know, so it's those kind of things that, that are practical and, and walking out of this. Um, but my heart, I wasn't living in this pride place where I'm like, no, I, I, I can still have rights. Like I'm still a person. You can't do that. It was this laying down for Christine and, and it to God that I will, I will crawl on my belly if that's what it takes. And that's what God is calling us to do. And that was the start for me in, in the healing process. And God began to restore things in me and show me things about my marriage and myself that I had never ever even thought of or experienced in my life. And after that point, I, there was a, the person that was counseling me, walked me through breaking off soul ties with, and I sat there and prayed with him um, in his driveway. And I listed every name and broke soul ties with all of them. And that was what powerful. A, what is a soul tie? A soul tie is something that is created when you are sexual or intimate with someone and that that connects you to them 
in a way that um, is emotional, physical, and, and mental. And it keeps you in bondage um, because this, this person is a part of you now. And there, there was a definite freeing of me when I, when we, when I prayed um, that those things be broken off of me, specifically calling them out, specific prayers um, that I would say breaking those things off of me. And then going to counseling and just working through some of my issues with everything was extremely helpful and just, but it's only helpful because of God's grace and the fact that I was willing to be vulnerable and not care anymore. Like, I don't care who I share this with. And it was, and it still is to this day about not letting the enemy have any foothold of shame in my life. So if I'm, and if I'm meeting people for the first time or we're at dinner with a couple that we've never met and we start talking about personal things in the past, there's no, I'm not going to hide what God has done in my life and, and in our marriage. I'm not going to be scared because I'm not going to allow the enemy to have that foothold in my life where I'm like, oh, well, you know, I don't want, I don't, I don't know what they're going to think of me if I share this with them because that's not who I am and that's not who God created me to be. That's who I was until God freed me. And it's to glorify him. And I'm not going to live in that place of shame because I'm not going to allow the enemy to have that. Well, and that's where the issues lied before was darkness, darkness, hidden, quiet. Don't talk about it. Put it away. You know, like all of that is where shame breeds and guilt, you know, comes from is just bringing those things out into the light. That's where God can shine on them, you know, totally. So I think that's really important and very admirable. It's not easy to do that. Yeah, it was definitely a big, big part for me. And then also knowing that, that I'm forgiven and that God has things for me. I'm not disqualified, you know, and, and uh, when I, when you repent and turn away from your sin, you know, God can do amazing things with you. And uh, it doesn't matter what you've walked in before. He can use it for his glory. And that's a testament. Um, to our to Christine and I's relationship and what we have walked through that God's God's used it for his glory. And it, I, he always brings me back to anytime I feel shame or disappointment. And I was just talking with Christine um, about this a few days ago, how I'll get these feelings where I'll think about my past in my life. And I, I'll be disappointed in myself because of how I could have, God could have used me in these other people's lives. But instead I said, well, I, I could have pushed them. I pushed them away from God instead of drawing them closer to him by being, by living in sin and living for myself. So there's this, I, I say, I feel this, this sense of disappointment, not shame, but I'm disappointed in myself. Like, oh, man, like I didn't do what God wanted me to do. And now, but then again, I say, but that that's pride because mm-hmm. You think God's not over able to overcome my sin and my mess ups and my screw ups? Like if he wants those people, he's going to, he's going to find a way to get to reach them. And it's, yes, I may have missed an opportunity and not because I'm not walking in the person God called me to be, but God has those situations. He has those people and I can just trust him in that. And in, in Luke 962 it says no man that sets his hands to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of god mm. and he's walking you know god's talking about all these people that come to him and say and he tells them to follow him 
and they are saying things like, oh, well, you know, let me go bury my dad or let me go say bye to my family. And it's about putting things before God, obviously. But when you're looking back on a previous life, when you say, I'm going to follow Jesus, and then you want to go back here and live this way again, it doesn't work. You can't live, walk the narrow path when your head's like this. Mm. And uh, I'm not looking back at my past. I don't, I'm not living in my past and saying, oh, well, what about this? Or I could have done this or God would have wanted to use me in this way. And I should have been over here at this level, but I ruined that by making my mistakes. That's just puts me back in that place of shame and guilt and not walking in the truth that God has created that my whole life is planned out before him. And all I need to do is walk the narrow path and keep my, my hands to the plow and he will be glorified in that. And he'll use me however he needs to use me. So I was pointing this out with Christine too, that it's so, um, you know, I'm sure I don't mean to put words in your mouth. So correct me, but I'm sure there were points in this journey where you said, I'm done. I'm it's, this is the last time never again, blah, blah, blah. But there seems to be a marked difference in true repentance, which looks like to your description, just utter surrender utter humility, humility being so critical to actually repenting and, and walking with the Lord. I mean, that's what the Bible tells us, you know, we know that, and there's a difference between what we know in our head and what we know in our heart. Right. And, and a difference between what we know and how we act. And I think humility is just really that tricky, tricky little beast to actually, to actually humble ourselves. And like you said, allow your wife to check your phone or, you know, go to counseling or whatever. I'm sure that seems to be the mark, at least from Christine's testimony, looking in at your story where there was a, there was a true shift in your behavior was, I mean, we all, we all say lip, you know, lip service. You said, you know, like talk is cheap, but that was when the shift truly happened was, through that humility. So you said that was the beginning of your journey. Do you remember a moment when you truly felt like liberated from this, where you knew, like you knew uh, it is truly done now it's over. I won't go back. Yeah. And I, I would say it was around the same time, but there was another time where it was more of a conversation between Christine and I, and it took me a while to go from that place of wanting to do anything that God asked me to do. And a while, I would say maybe like maybe a year um, to a place where I knew I was never going back to that because during that time period of of a year, there was this, I, I would say it was still this, this pride or arrogance of saying, I, I wanted Christine to not rely on me to, to, to be okay. And she wanted me to tell her that I was never going back to to anything like this. And that would never happen again. And I was still in a place of shame because of everything that had happened. And when it, when she had found out the previous two times before that about things, um, there was this sense of relief, right? I was like, Oh, thank God it's over. Okay. Like I can move on now, but I wasn't dealing with my heart issues. I wasn't dealing with the reason I was getting into this stuff. 
I was only living in the relief of, oh, it's, um, it's out in the open. I feel free now because everything's out in the open, but I don't, I can just, we can go on like before. Yeah. It'll take a little time to, to everything to be, feel okay again, but we can move forward now. But because I wasn't dealing with my heart issue of what was really going on in the stronghold that I had in my life, the enemy kept bringing different things into my life or, or different situations. And I was responding in the wrong way. Sure. I wasn't aware of why I was stepping into these things. I wasn't aware of just these little pitfalls that I would have and how they would even start things, things as little as, Oh, well, you know, I like to make people laugh and this person's laughing at me. Um, so I'm going to joke with them and then it becomes something, Oh yeah, blah, 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 whatever, you know, however these, these little things started with me. Um, and, and now I'm aware of my own, God made me aware of my own, just different things that would bring me to those places. And I forget the question you asked. You, you were saying. If there was a moment where you really realized. Yeah, there was a, it was, a, that's where I felt like it was more of a God thing where instead of saying, well, anything could happen, right? I was telling Christine, anything could happen. Like, I don't want it to happen. Like, and I know if I trust in God, it'll be okay. But, but, you know, we're all human and I could make a mistake in one way or the other at some point. And it was almost like I was giving myself like an out, right? Yeah. And I screwed up again. Yeah. But there came a time and I was listening to this song by United Pursuit and it's called Never Going Back. And mm -hmm. God just broke me down during the song. And he just told me in that moment, He's like, Taylor, you don't have to go back. You don't have to go back. You can say, I'm never going back. And you can stand on that promise. You can stand on who I am and, this, and my strength during this. And you don't have to rely on, on, you know, thinking like you might screw up. Just keep your eyes on me and mm -hmm. you will not go back. And then I told Christine when we had a conversation right that day, when I came or when she came home or I came home, I can't remember, but... I said, I'm never, I'm never going back. I'm never going back to that place. That was, you know, it, there was turning points where we would move forward um, throughout the process to get to where we are now. But that was one of them. I mean, t telling God uh, that I will do whatever you want me to do. I'll, I'll be whoever you need me to be. I will say yes to whatever you need me to say yes to because I just want to do your will and I want to be walking with you again completely. And then knowing in my heart that I don't ever have to go back to that life. You know, that was another one. And then God just showing me through that time period that I can trust him with my relationship. And because, you know, I was, as I was telling you before, there's these things of saying, I wish my wife was like this, or I wish she would do these things, or I wish she was that way. And not viewing her really the way God wants me to view her as a spouse. Sure. Knowing that I have certain things that I desire and knowing that if I trust God with, with my relationship, that he will fulfill those desires or he'll m remove them if they don't need to be there. That's so good. You know, um, and, and just walking in that and not worrying, like I'll never be happy in my marriage or I'll never have this part or this, this amazing thing I shared with this person or whatever, like that. I wish that was part of my marriage. No. God gave me this woman and this relationship to steward to the best of my ability. And I may have effed that up for seven years, but I don't have, it doesn't have to be that way anymore. I can trust God with this relationship 
and be satisfied in him. And he will satisfy me as I need to be satisfied, not as I think I need to be satisfied. And if I feel like I'm missing something, then I go to him. I don't go to Christine and say, you know, can you just start doing this more? Like maybe we could do this sometime, or maybe, you know, how come you don't like the things that I like, or how come you don't want to do this thing that I like, or listen to this kind of music, or, you know, how come, you know, whatever it is, and not worry about all that stuff that doesn't matter and just focus on the Lord and view my wife as the amazing, beautiful, incredible woman that God made her to be and her in all of that and walk in that and God will take care of the rest of the stuff or he'll remove it if it doesn't need to be there. And it's just, there was a, there was a shift for me as far as the way I viewed my marriage after everything you know, and how I was choosing to view Christine and, you know, the way I I wanted to look at her. So that's profound. That's really good. That's good. That's just good for anyone, any marriage, not a marriage in recovery, but just any marriage. I mean, every marriage is a little bit in recovery, probably from something. (laughs) I would think so. If you're not growing together, then it might be a little stagnant. (laughs) So last question do you still struggle or do you feel like it's, it's broken off? I don't feel like I struggle with the, the need to be admired, desired, and those kind of things anymore. I think that, that God has given me certain personality characteristics, if you will, that I want to use for his glory and not let those be defiled mm. by my own needs. I I shared this with Christine and I feel like God's given me a strong gift of discernment. And I feel like during that process of those, those years of, of not living with him, I use this gift that God had given me to my own personal advantage. I, I, I could easily make relationships with people because I could discern things in them and I knew how to talk to them immediately. Mm -hmm. Things that there, I could see things that they were going through in their life and I knew how to reach to them, reach them. And instead of using that, for God's glory, I used it for my own gain, and it brought me to horrible places. As far as sexuality or addiction, mm-hmm. um, those things, I, I, I would say that I know God has revealed to me when I'm weak in those kind of uh, areas and how to combat it. Typically, if I'm all alone or something like that, and I'm distracted, that's when the enemy would come strong at me like, Oh, you you know, you're feeling this way. Or if I get depressed and I was alone, like I'd want to get out of that depression and I want some sort of like whatever I was euphoria, I would feel, uh, same thing with any addiction. Right. I mean, that's why people go to drugs. That's why they go to alcohol. It's they're trying to get away from some sort of feeling and have a different feeling. Um, but God has just really shown me how to combat that with his word. And anytime I would feel that, and it was a lot more, I would say, early on in the recovery process than it is now, mm-hmm. uh, I just combat it with his word. I just start speaking things. No weapon formed against me shall prosper. I'm a, I'm a son of God. I belong to Jesus. I don't belong to anything else. I'm, I'm his to do what, I, uh, what he will. And I just speak that over my life. And it's gone. Like those things are dissipate. And um, I don't, it doesn't affect me in the same way that it ever did before where I didn't know how to combat it. I didn't understand why, like I wasn't thinking about why I was doing it. I was just doing it like, Oh, this is 
like, oh man, I screwed up again. I wasn't strong enough to, to, to not do it. Right. But I just rely on the Lord to give me strength. And I just speak his truth instead of listening to the lies of the enemy. And that every time is what gets me through. And I wouldn't say I'm not tempted now at, at certain times, like, but I know when it's coming and I know like, Hey, this is why this is happening right now, Taylor. This is why you feel this right now. Speak the word. Don't, you know, and it's not this pressure to be like, Oh, I need to be good. It's like, no, I'm, I know who I belong to. I know what my, where my authority lies and that's where I'm standing. I'm not standing on trying to be a certain way. I'm just standing on the Lord and knowing who he is and knowing what he has done already. And the enemy has no place. <laughs> Amen. Well, thank you so much for being so vulnerable and willing to share, because I know that there are plenty of people walking in all kinds of addiction and perhaps some very similar to what you're walking through. And sometimes you just need that encouragement to know someone else, even just a person has been victorious over this can be okay. If one person can be, then I guess I can be too. Right. So um, there's such power in that. And I, I appreciate you sharing. Hey guys, thanks for listening. Don't forget to rate this podcast and tell all your friends. And of course, catch me over at gainingmyperspective.com. Father God, I just pray over Taylor and Christine. Lord, I am so grateful for their testimony. I'm so grateful for the vulnerability that you have allowed them, Lord, in this season of victory where they stand just with their feet on the rock, Lord. I am so grateful that you've brought them to the other side, Lord, and that they were able to cling to you in the midst of this crazy storm and fight for their marriage and war for each other and war for their own salvation that is so sound and the freedom that comes with that salvation in you, Lord. I'm just grateful for their vulnerability and their transparency so that we can all learn from and be encouraged by their testimony, Lord. Just blessings and blessings on the all family, their kiddos, Lord. We're just grateful for them. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.